Today we are in the final week, our finale of our World Changers series. And if you're just kind of tuning in today, we're wrapping up a four-week series where we've been talking about what it means to be a world changer, what it means to be a world changer, and what it takes to be a world changer. And if you've been with us since the beginning of the series, we started off talking about a group of guys, an ordinary group of guys, 12 guys, specifically, specifically we're talking about Peter and John, who before a certain event were just normal, ordinary people. All right, and they were timid, and they were, you know, uh, bashful, and they were afraid. And one of them, even to the point, like he loved Jesus so much, but he even denied that he knew who Jesus was. All right, and that was Peter before the, the death uh, and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ordinary guys who, as soon as trouble came, they ran the other way. And then something happened, something happened in the world, and this thing that happened in the world changed them forever. And that was the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what we saw in the first week of the series, it wasn't, it's not the resurrection that changed them. Because it's the same resurrection that me and you believe in, so to speak. It's not the resurrection that changed them. It was blank in the resurrection that changed them. It was their faith in the resurrection. And what we agreed from the very beginning is that faith is not belief. Faith is behavior born out of belief. So these guys, we say we believe in the resurrection of Christ. These guys never said they believed. These guys, every single person in the universe knew they believed by the way their lives were lived. And specifically, we said there'd be three ways that your faith, your world-changing faith, will be manifested. The first way is if you really believe you have real faith in, in the resurrection of Christ and that he died and that he is risen and he lives forever and he gives new life to those who believe in him, then it'll change the way you pray. You will pray with world-changing prayers. And we said world-changing prayers are categorized by two things, boldness, praying for boldness, and praying for miracles. And that's what these guys did. These guys, everywhere they went, they prayed boldly, they prayed big prayers, and they prayed for miracles and they saw miracles. And then they didn't just pray in a world-changing way, but then the second manifestation of world-changing faith was their world-changing speech. And these guys, when they prayed for miracles, and they saw miracles, and then they got in trouble for those miracles, and they were called in by the bad guys, and they said, don't say this stuff again, don't do this stuff again. They said, look, we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. And they said, we don't care what you do, you cannot shut us up, you, we cannot stop speaking the things that we've seen and we heard. It made a difference in the way they speak. And then what we're going to see today, as you see up there on the screen, is we're going to talk about world-changing obedience. And I'll be honest with you. Of all the messages in the series, this is the one that is closest to my heart. Because I have a fundamental belief in life. It is, if you go deep inside me, it is at the core of who I am, and it is at the core and is the cause of 99% of the things I do is based on this fundamental belief in life. And I believe this so strongly, and if there's one thing that I could ingrain in people whenever I talk to them, it's this one thing. And that is this. And more than anything else, obedience is the means by which God will bless our lives. You thought I was going to say something very profound, didn't you? <laughs> Not profound enough to say something profound. Obedience is the means by which God wants to bless our lives. You see, I guess this, this belief that I have, which is like our key thought here for today, is really based on a couple different like underlying assumptions. 
And the first one is that God wants to bless us. All right, and we started off this series talking about our church promise for the year, Jeremiah 29, 7. that talks about that we will seek the peace of the city around us because in its peace, you will find peace. That's what God promised us. That when we seek the peace, the prosperity, the blessing for the world around us, that we will find peace, blessing, and prosperity in ourselves. That when we seek it, we will become channels for it. So I have this fundamental belief, and I hope you have it too, that God wants to bless our lives. That God does not want us to always be miserable, always be suffering, always be like depressed kind of people. That doesn't mean he gives us everything we want. And that doesn't mean that in this world you won't have tribulation. But it means that God wants to give us something greater than the tribulations that the world offers us. God wants to give us something to overcome those tribulations. That he wants to give us, in a world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I hope you have this fundamental belief, because some people don't have it. They think God is against them. I believe that God wants to bless us, and God wants to give us good things. And then the second belief that I have is just as strong, is that God wants to bless me more than I want to be blessed. God wants to bless me more than I want to be blessed. And if you are not a parent, you may not understand that. If you are, if you have a son or a daughter, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you have a son or a daughter, you know that they want their best, I want their best more than they want their best. As their father, I want their health more than they want their health. I want their prosperity more than they want it. And God as our father desires us not to say, I want to bless you, but to say, I want it even more than you do, and I want to show you the way. In other words, what I'm trying to say is it's not a game of hide and seek. It's not God saying, I have something good. Guess which door it's behind, and good luck to you. And then God kind of hides it in different places, and we got to figure it out. And that's not God. What kind of father would do that? I have dinner in one of my hands. Guess which one it is. You guess wrong. No, no soup for you if you guess wrong. What kind of father would do that? Well, if we being evil give good things to our children, our heavenly father is not a game of hide and seek. He wants to give to us good things. He wants to give to us peace. He wants to give to us love. He wants to give to us joy. But the path to get it is obedience. Obedience is the fork in the road. And we face this fork every single day, multiple times a day. That you are faced with a decision. Will you obey God or will you not obey God, disobey? And I'm telling you, that fork in the road, that's what at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of your life, when you look back and see there was no blessing on my life, go back to these forks in the road and you will see exactly why. It's not a mystery. And then vice versa. Anyone who has the blessing of God upon their life, it is because they get to the same fork in the road and there's God's path and there's other. And God will speak to us. We have to believe that, again, it's not hide and seek. God will speak to us through his word, word of God, which we talked about before. That's why we're committed to reading our Bible on a regular basis. I don't even want to say reading our Bible. I want to say ingraining the word of God in us. God will speak to us through his spirit, which is inside of us. Sometimes you don't know, but you know. And that's that gut spirit, that, that gut inside you. That's the spirit speaking to you, and you just know. Sometimes you speak through your very, very, very wise priest who is always speaking knowledge and dropping wisdom, and sometimes he'll speak through that kind of stuff, and you'll sit there in your seat, and you'll be convicted by a message from God, and the question is, when you get out of here, are you going to obey or disobey? If you disobey, then you have no room to complain about lack of ble blessing in your lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about how our obedience to God 
will be world-changing, and because of that, what effect it's going to have on our lives. Let's take a step back, just kind of recap. What we've been doing for the past several weeks is looking at a story from Acts 3, 4, and 5. It's like one long story, but it's just kind of divided into three chapters. And just a quick recap. You see, like I said, Peter and John, the original world-changers, who, like I said, ordinary people, nothing special about them. Just, just less than two months ago, before this day, someone came to Peter and said, hey, you're with Jesus. He said, no, I don't know anything to do with him. I don't know anything about him. So these were not supermen. These were not courageous people who were born with like ice in their blood. These people who were scared, were timid, were afraid. They ran, they fled as soon as anyone said, you guys know Jesus. They loved him, but they were not world changers by any means. And then the event happened. And it wasn't just the event. Then they believed in the event. And they believed with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus is risen from the dead. And it changed everything in their lives. One day they're outside in the street and they're walking down the street. And they see a man who is lame, paralyzed. Been like that his whole life, more than 40 years. They go to him and they say, you, you stand up and you rise and you walk. And he did. And all everyone said, wow, these guys are amazing. These guys are the best. And they said, it's not us. It's Jesus whom you guys crucified. He is the true God. And they started preaching the name of Christ. Bad guys, the guys who killed Christ, the Sanhedrin, okay, the Jewish rulers, didn't like this. Called them in and said, you people, stop doing this. And they said, well, we would like to stop doing it. But like I said, we can't stop. Because if you've seen what we've seen, and you heard what we heard, and you heard Jesus tell us to preach his name, sorry, y'all can beat us, which they did. Y'all can imprison us, which they did. Y'all can cut off our heads. We can't stop, and we won't stop ever preaching the name of Christ. And they basically, they wanted to kill them, but they couldn't kill them. Why couldn't they kill them? Because there was a mob of people outside that said, we need these guys back because these guys are doing miracles. And we got, I got my sick grandma out here. And then my cousin's got this thing on the bottom of his foot. We need them to see him. And they said, we cannot kill these people because they, the mob, will kill us. So they beat them, and then they let them go. We'll pick up the story there. And now these guys are back out on the street, and they're out preaching the word of God again. And look what's going on. Try to picture the scene right here. This is after the rulers had beaten them and imprisoned them, said, never do this again. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join, but the people esteemed them highly. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. They're outside. Everyone's together. They're doing miracles. They're preaching. People are saying, I believe. And they join. And then it keeps on going. So it says they brought the sick out into the streets. That's your grandma, your cousin, whatever it is. And they laid, hand, they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. The shadow was doing miracles. Also, a multitude gathered from their surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You're the Sanhedrin. You're the ruling body. Okay, let's make it. Let's make it modern day. You're the Supreme Court. This person came in. And you told him, you never, ever do this again, or else we're going to lock you up. And the person says to the Supreme Court, sorry, I'm going to be doing it later today. And the Supreme Court can't say anything because there's a mob outside their houses, all right, ready to burn their house down. They say, okay, just, uh, and they beat them and they let them go. And the Supreme Court guys, the justices look out their window. What do they see? These two guys got like a million man march going on. And they got a million people in the street. And people are coming from other cities to hear them preach and to be healed. And now there is like chaos in the city because the rulers said no. And people said, we don't care about you rulers. Y'all go away. There's anarchy about to happen right here. And remember, who are like the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews? They were under Roman occupation. 
So Rome was in charge, and then Rome said, okay, we hire you guys, you guys run the people. And if you all don't do a good job keeping them quiet, we're gonna cut y'all's head off and hire those three people. Like, Rome had no problem killing these people real quick and real easy. So that's why these guys, they were really scared. Like, if we can't control the mob, Rome's not gonna be happy, we're gonna lose our lives, and they're gonna put someone else in place of us. So look what happens next, verse 17. Then the high priest, the, the head of the Supreme Court, rose up, and all who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They are furious. The smoke coming out the ears. How dare they? And, no, and it says, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. They said, bring me those guys. But they couldn't even face them. They were so angry. He said, you bring them? And you lock them up until I know, until I'm ready to deal with them. Like, I, I can't even see them right now. You just lock them up. And did they have to search hard for the apostles? No, they're right outside the door. Did they have to put up a fight? The apostles said, we don't care. Like, you want to arrest us? Arrest us. We were just in jail yesterday. We don't have no problem. Go back to the gate. Like, this is the second time they've been in jail in a week. And they go into the prison. But they didn't stay there very long. That's verse 18. Look at verse 19. Then at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. We need to break this down. There's too much going on in these couple of verses. Right? We need to take a step back. We need to break this down. Here's how we're going to look at this. We are going to look at what happens when you have world-changing obedience, the kind of obedience that these guys had, that there's no limit to whatever God says. No matter how crazy, these guys never said no. God told him this, they said sure. God told him this, they said sure. God told, no matter what it was, they never ever said no. And we're going to see the blessing and the power that God pours upon the life that says no limits to my obedience. God says no limits to my blessing. We're going to break it down systematically right here. Do this organized. Three characteristics of world-changing obedience. Number one, and we have to start with number one. World-changing obedience usually triggers opposition. And we can't gloss over this. Like, I can't just paint a nice picture and say whatever God tells you to do, you do it, and life will be peachy keen, and you'll be rich, and you'll be the happiest person in the world, and nothing bad will ever happen to you. Anyone who tries to teach you that, that's a person who doesn't read the Bible, or they have other means, they have other interests at stake. The simple fact of the matter is, as much as they obeyed God, Peter and John, and as much as God did miracles in their lives, at this point in the story, in Acts 5, verse 18, where are they standing? In prison. And what are they awaiting? Most likely death. And this is how many times they've been arrested in a week? Second time. So you know somebody who got arrested 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and then they're back in prison again. Second offense, that's not good. I'm talking about twice in a week. I'm talking about like they went in on Monday, came out on Tuesday. By Thursday afternoon, they're back in prison. You can't look at this and say that sometimes you will not have tribulation, and sometimes you will not have opposition. And in fact, what I truly believe is that the more you obey God, the more people will oppose you. What did they do to warrant being in prison? What was their crime? What was their crime? I'm Peter's wife. Not Peter, I'm Peter's wife. And I stand before God, and what do I say? How do I pray? Thank you, Lord, for putting them in prison. You are so good to those who obey you, Lord. Anyone who obeys you, everyone, obey God, just like my husband obeyed God. And he's about to get his head chopped off. 
what would you say? Someone who obeyed, 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 and they find themselves in prison. You say the same thing. My kids these days are in this kind of a phase. That is not fair. You know when kids get in the not fair phase? That's what it is right now. Why does he get to stay up and she gets to the not fair? That's what I would say. And that's what you would say. And if you're honest, take off the, the Sunday school answer, the church face. If we're honest, this is not fair. This is not fair. All they did was obey God and they ended up in problems. I'll give you an example. I'll make it modern day for you. I'm driving to church and I'm running a little bit late. But I want to get there early because I'm the preacher man. I'm the priest. I got to get there early. I want to prepare. I want, I want to go and I want to pray. I'm going to pray. So maybe I put my foot a little bit too much on the gas. All right, maybe I tend to go a little bit over the speed limit and a cop pulls me over. And I pull over and I say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. So I have no doubt that you will get me off this ticket. Praise be to Jesus. He will get me off this ticket because I'm going to serve his holy name. And then you get a ticket. And you say, God doesn't care. And you say, well, how come I'm going to serve God? Okay, last time I go to church early. That's the last time I care about getting there on time. Because that is not fair. I did everything right, not fair. Another example. God, I'm a young man. I've been pure my whole life. I didn't do all that nonsense that those other idiots did. I didn't like party and girls and all that stuff. I kept myself pure for this moment. Now send that smoking hot chick. <laughs> I deserve it. And there's no smoking hot chick that comes. While the bad guys get the smoking hot chicks. And you say that is not fair. Do I keep going on about work? When we're honest and he's not and he gets promoted and I don't, they go on about my 401k versus her 401k. That hers goes up and mine goes down even though she's a cheat and she's a whatever. Do I go on and on and on about all the things that we say? I'm, I'm, I'm a sports fan. We do this in sports too. Our quarterback, he's got a Bible verse on his Twitter page so nothing bad should happen to him. His ACL should be perfectly fine. He's got a Bible verse on his Twitter page. Like what more could you want? Our team has more Christians than that team so God should make this team win for the glory of his name. That's not world-changing obedience. That's negotiations. We try to bribe God. We try to make a deal with him. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. That's not obedience. Let me tell you something honestly. If you're not ready to face opposition for obedience, you are not ready to be used by God. Simple. If you are not ready, if you are not ready to face opposition for obedience, you are not ready to be blessed by God. And listen carefully what I'm saying here. I didn't say suffering for obedience. Suffering and opposition are different. Suffering is bad stuff happened to me. Opposition is people do bad stuff to me. And there's a difference. And opposition is always harder. St. Paul says this way to his disciple, Timothy, who our church is named after this guy. And he, we're reading this verse to all of us together. It's a verse to Timothy. And it says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not just will suffer, not just stuff will happen to them, but people will oppose them and try to get them to stop what they are doing. You say, 
I want to take three weeks off this summer. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to go serve in Africa. I want to go serve in Egypt. I'm telling you, expect a phone call from mommy and daddy saying, you better not go. Or expect your work to say, we ain't giving you the time off. Or expect your friends to say, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. What is wrong with you? You make a decision to say, I want to live pure. I want to live, I want to keep these eyes pure. Then you expect that the next day, temperature goes up to 100 degrees and the clothes get a lot skimpier around campus. You expect it. You expect that the day you say, I want to get my body in shape, I want to start to eat healthy, I want to start to get my life on track. You expect that everywhere you drive, you see that McDonald's sign that say, uh, $5, 20 nuggets, everywhere. <laughs> I can't escape it. 20 nuggets, $5, can't escape it. And God knows how irresistible those things are. There's no way you're going to do something great for the kingdom of God and the devil's just going to lie down and not try to fight you, not try to oppose you. I'll give you some, some personal examples, okay? Here with this church, here with STSA, St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Church, a church that we're now two years old. God's going to do great things to this church, and he already has done great things to this church, but don't you think for one second that it hasn't been opposition at every single step of the way? And I'll just say me personally, and I'm sure it's not just me, but I can only speak about myself. Why are you going to leave St. Mark's? There's a lot, of, a lot of work to be done here. A lot of these youth love you. This is your home. Why are you going to leave here? How could you? You're going to hurt us? You're going to leave here? You're going to hurt us. That's what some people, some people mentality. Not, I'm not saying like the, the church was saying that. I'm saying like individuals. You have the church here. You're really going to have a church where you're going to invite like unchurched people? Are you going to tell people invite their friends from work and, and, and people who aren't like, like hardcore spiritual, like haven't been church their whole lives? Man, that's just going to water down the church. And that's just going to, you're going to put those people in leadership positions? Oh, yeah, that's just going to water things down. No, 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 no. Are you crazy? You're ruining the church. You have a church. And you start saying that anyone who's a member of the church should take this membership group. Why do you say that? Why do you make it difficult for the people? Invite and open and make it easy on the people. More people will come. Bottom line is, anything you are going to do, anything you are going to do great for God, you must not only expect opposition. Man, you be ready. You put the gloves on before you even leave the house. You're ready to go. And I'm telling you, if you don't find any opposition in your life, like, don't worry when you find opposition. Worry when you don't find opposition. Worry when you think you're doing great and there's no opposition to you. That's when I question whether or not you're living truly obedient. Number one, world-changing obedience usually, usually triggers opposition. But it doesn't just stop there. Number two, world-changing obedience often unleashes God's power. It brings opposition, but it also brings power. And the power is always greater than the opposition. <clears throat> I love. Okay, the verse, Acts 17, said they were filled with indignation. Or Acts 5, 17. Acts 5, 18, said they brought them into the prison. And then verse 19 no transition whatsoever, very matter-of-fact, says they were in prison, but at night the angel came, opened the doors, and took them out. Ho-hum. By the way, oh yeah, they were in prison for life. Oh, but by the way, they went out at midnight, angel came, and freed them. Very matter-of-fact. Why? If you were telling this story, is that how you'd say it? 
oh yeah, the prison doors are open, all the prisoners escaped, and they had lunch. <laughs> Is that how you tell it? I'd say, get this man, sit down, sit down, sit down. <laughs> Midnight struck, and an angel came, and he was nine feet tall, and he had muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he had a sword that could kill an elephant. <laughs> Uh, and he came down there, and it was thunder, and it was lightning, and he kicked the prison doors and screamed, Booyah! As soon as he did it. And everything shook, and he took them out with glory and all kinds of stuff. That's how me and you would tell the story. But Luke just says, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. The angel came and freed them. Why? Why he tells it so matter-of-factly? He's used to it. Exactly. Because we just read that the shadow of Peter walking down the street was curing people's sicknesses. We just read that people were coming from towns all around to be healed. This was not new to them. When you live a life of world-changing obedience, it is not new to you to see the power of God. It's, an, it's, something, not only, it's something to be expected. Y'all remember we said this one of our core values. Remember our core value, number six, faith-filled vision? We said that we believe in a big God. And we rely on that big God to do extraordinary things. And remember what we said. We said we are not surprised when God does a miracle. We are surprised when he does not. And I know we wrote that down. We said none of us believe that. But that's how we're going to get to. And that's how these guys lived. They weren't surprised when God did miracles. They were more surprised when he didn't do a miracle. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 through 9. It's a long passage. I didn't put it in your handout, but it's up on the screen. If you aren't convinced that world-changing obedience will lead to blessing unparalleled in your life, just read these verses and tell me what y'all think. This is God commanding them in the Old Testament through the prophet Moses. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Because you obey. All these blessings, because you obey. Not because you're cute, not because you have a nice smile, not because you came to church early. Because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed, here now he talks about the blessings. Blessed you shall be in the city, and blessed you shall be in that country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. In practical ways, not just blessing like, I love you, I pour my, my love upon you, all these fluffy things, we don't know what it means. No, real stuff. I bless your cattle. I bless your horses. I bless your, your crops. I bless real stuff. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be when you come in. Blessed you shall be when you go out. I don't know what that means, but when you come in and when you go out, those are the only two options that I can think of. Either you're going in or you're going out. If everywhere you go, you're going to be blessed when you go in, you're going to be blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. Yes, you may apply that to your boss at work. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. That's a beautiful verse. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Man, if that doesn't get you pumped up to obey God, I don't know what does. If that doesn't get you pumped up to obey that hard thing, which you know you should obey, man, I don't know what will. If that doesn't make you, 
Let heaven and earth, let one rise from the dead. It won't be changed if God's promises don't move you. One example. One example, and I'm not picking on this area in particular, just one example, that God promises specific blessing for obedience. And one area that sometimes we don't like to talk about because it's kind of sensitive, all kind of stuff. I want to talk about giving. Because it's the one area we talk about giving that God is so clear that if you obey me and you are charitable and you are generous with your finances, I will be so generous and blessing you in so much. Not my words. Let's read the command, then I'm going to read you. I'll tell you a real story about how you see this blessing. Malachi 3, 8, verse 10. Will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me. But you're saying, what way have we robbed you? God is coming and saying, you guys are stealing from me. And they're saying, we are you talking about God? We didn't steal anything from you. Like, Back up. What happened? And he says, this is how you stole from me, in tithes and offerings. Because you, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. What God is saying, just for those who understand, tithing, all right, is the principle of giving 10% of what God gives us back to him. And we give it through his body on earth, which is the church. Tithing means like God gives me this and then I give back to him. And it was from the very beginning of the Bible. It was the way that God commanded people to understand that he's the owner and they're just managing what he gives them. That even though they think it's from them, no, it's from God. And they say, bring all the tithes into the storehouse there may be food in my house and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not there will not be enough room to receive it. that's a great promise God says you give and I will give you and we look at that and say okay that's spiritual I have in my hand here an email that I printed up something someone sent me recently a couple of years ago someone I was speaking about the concept of tithing in church Okay, and someone apparently was moved by something that I said. And they wrote me this email, asked them to, to like they told me the story, and I said, put it in writing because I think it's a nice story. And they sent me this email. I'll read the highlights of the letter. It says, this is a, a married couple, all right, saying, we have never had a consistent habit or routine of giving to church. We have other things in place, meaning other donations that they give, to some Christian organizations or charities, but never to the church. I guess we've been doing it backwards. We wait until a windfall of some sort of money comes or we saved up a bunch and then we give a small portion. In any case, I was laid off. And he gives the date, December of whatever year it was. Okay, I was laid off in this year. And by the way, this person, it was a very, very successful executive and like a high-tech company. And then it was, it was like in the 2005, 2006 time period where they started laying off and they was cutting off those like vice presidents and stuff like that. The person who had always known prosperity all of a sudden gets laid off. He says, while we felt comfortable through God's blessing with some transactions we had done outside of work, and I was getting a severance package for a few months, there was a lot of worry because we didn't know where the next steady stream of income would come from. So I decided to try my hand at some real estate investment activity since I had been doing it on the side for so many years. And then he goes on, okay, I'll kind of skip through some of it, talk about the different things he tried to provide income for his family, real estate, investing, all this kinds of stuff. And he basically says that all of it, none of it produced anything. And he says about how he started to feel, his exact word, confused, disappointed, feeling like God was letting us down. And then came your message and the small group that I was in. After hearing your sermon on giving and meditating on this passage, Malachi 3.10, and being encouraged by my brothers in small group, we were both struck 
by God asking us to test him. We were, of course, praying for our hearts out for God to do just whatever he wants, but to solve our income issues somehow. We were waiting for God to answer our prayers. the best part. He wrote it in bold. We were waiting for God to answer our prayers, but now we felt he was the one waiting for us to obey his command. So I got my checkbook, and I wrote a check to the church the following day. We had originally discussed a certain amount, and then I decided to write a little bit more. So they discussed this, and he wrote this. Exact words, I'm not making this up. The following day, I couldn't believe what happened. I got a phone call about a job, and they made me an offer, just like that. One day after obeying God's command to tithe. And it turned out to even be more than what I used to make at my old job. Basically, what he was doing is connecting. We felt commanded to do this. I gave this. And then God had been giving this, and God gave this. They even gave me a security clearance. I'm now typing this email sitting in a government building working at my new job. Thank you so much for your prayers for us and for all that you do. We love you. appreciate you. A few nice words about me and my family. Glory be to God. Okay. <laughs> speaks for itself. God speaks for itself. Speaks for himself. And especially with this issue, okay, sometimes people come to me and say like, you know, and money and stuff like that. We don't give and all that stuff. I always say the same thing. I don't care if you give. You're not helping me if you give. Like, you're not helping me. But I'm telling you, if you're struggling financially, you can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to have that blessing in your life. Same thing in all aspects of your life. If you struggle in your career, man, you can't afford to cut corners spiritually and morally in your job because you really need the blessing of God in your job. You're single and you're saying, this girl or this boy, man, you really can't afford to be messing around with your Bible reading. And your time in prayer because you really need God's guidance in these areas. If you don't need God's blessing, don't obey. I agree. But the more you need the blessing, the more you need to obey. Because obedience is the means by which God will bless. God wants to bless, but the fork in the road is the obedience. Again, I'm not saying, just no one makes it clear. Make Everyone make it clear. No one thinks that I'm saying, write a check to church, you'll get a new job tomorrow. I'm not saying that. No one thinks that I'm saying that you do what God tells you, you never have problems. I already told you point number one. That's why I did it at the beginning. You will always have opposition. You will always have, in the world, you will always have tribulation. But God always overcomes the tribulation. God always brings good from the tribulation in a better way. And that actually gets us to our third lesson about world-changing obedience. Obedience will always trigger, op will usually trigger opposition will often lead to God's power. But 100% of the time, it will always stretch our faith. And that's actually the purpose of God blessing us through obedience. Because in the end, all this stuff goes away. But what remains is our relationship with God. And God will use any means he can to strengthen that relationship. Look at this verse. After, says the angel, let them go. Angel tells them, Acts 5.20, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And I'm telling you, angel is commanding them to do this, to stretch their faith. How would you respond to this? Like, let's be honest. I'm Peter, I'm John. Man, we're making miracles. We're walking by and shadows are healing stuff. 
I'm talking about we have faith. We have enough faith. We have plenty of faith. Go work on some of the weak people faith. We have more than enough faith. We've shown you, God, more than enough. We preached prison. Preach prison again. Let's cut back on the preaching. Like, let's cut back on this and let's go a different route. I'm afraid if these guys, let's say I'm the priest and these guys come to me and say, we're going to go back out and preach. I'm afraid I would say to them, God was nice to you. He freed you from prison. Don't push your luck. I'm afraid I'd be logical. And I'd say, don't push your luck. We need to bail you out anymore. Like God freed you. Like if God wanted you in prison, he left you in prison. He freed you. And logic would have said, don't do it. What said do it though? Faith. And God was trying to get them. And I'm sure they struggled with it. Because you know what faith is? Faith is like muscles. And you say, I can lift more than anybody else. And then you say, you know what? I need to put more weight on so I get stronger. Is there ever a time you can say, I'm so strong, I don't need to lift anymore? Not when it comes to faith. Because God wants more faith. And if you can bench 200, you put 205 on that bad boy. And you get 205, you go 210. You get 210, you go 220. And you're going to keep on going with faith. That's what God does. He's lifting us up from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from level to level to level to level. And with every level of faith is blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Two verses that I show you. Tell you why you need faith or why you want faith. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Why faith? Why without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why? Because God is our father and we are his son or daughter. And what characterizes a relationship, a good relationship between a son and a father is trust. And if there is no trust, there is no relationship. So God is trying to increase that father-son bond by building the trust. I'll give you another verse that I just discovered recently. actually just saw it yesterday for the first time in my life. I never saw this verse before in my life. That's why it's not in your handout. I just added it to the presentation this morning. Romans 14, 23. Why faith? Why God is always trying to build our faith. The goal of life is to build faith because plain and simple, whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. I'll tell you something. I'll be honest. God is teaching me this lesson very powerfully these days. These days, what God is teaching me is about faith in prayer. And I told you all this before, okay, so just so we're clear. I'm not a prayer expert. I'm not a prayer person. I made it clear, like when I spoke a couple weeks ago, I'm not a natural prayerer person. I'm not someone who's like, prayer meeting, six hours, yes. <laughs> prayer, that's not really my thing. I'm not so good at it. But God is teaching me more and more these days to do less and pray more. And if you know me, that's a very hard lesson because I'm very good at doing. I stink at praying. But God is telling me more and more. Do and he, and it's it's I want to say, okay, I'll pray more and do more. He says, "No." Because by doing more, to me, this this is just personal. Don't don't take this and if like if you don't do enough, do more, okay? But he's telling me that by the doing, you are negating your faith in the prayer. Because if you really had faith in this prayer, you'd do less and you would pray more. And that's what God is trying to tell me. 
One of the things that I did recently is, again, I've shared this before, like I have prayer cards. Like I write down my prayers of what it is that I want God to do. And I did this recently, about a week ago, a week and a half ago. I made all new prayer cards, okay? And I try to, you know, renew them every so often. And I had certain prayers. I promise you, in front of God, everything that I prayed for came true. I promise you, in front of God, I didn't pray for lottery and stuff like that. I'm talking about spiritual things. And, specific, and I, you don't believe me? Ask my wife. Because, I'll be honest, and hope she doesn't kill me for saying this, I prayed like for our marriage. And I prayed for like closeness in our marriage. And the day after I prayed that prayer, God is my witness, we faced one of the biggest challenges that we faced in our 13 years of marriage. And it was tough, but I promise you, we are closer today because of that. God answered that prayer through the tough and then through the power. Same thing with my children. I prayed specific prayers for my children in regard to their relationships, their friendships at school. And I promise you, I know you, I'm being dramatic, okay? But when it's your kid, you'll be dramatic too, all right? My son is nine. In his short nine-year life, he faced one of the biggest challenges, like relationally and socially, in his little nine-year-old life. And it started, and then it came. And that's when I hit, the trend hit me, that I'm praying that he would have this. And God says, okay, he's going to have this. But it usually starts like this. Why? Why? Why does it have to be this? Because that's when you build the faith. And that's when you're down here and you say, I don't know. And I don't know. And I'm doubting and I'm struggling. But I believe. And I believe. And I will show you I believe by my obedience. I feel so confident that God really does answer prayers. On my list, I have someone who just had like a surgery recently. And I'm terrified to call him and ask him how he's doing. <laughs> terrified to see how the surgery ended up going. Because everything that I prayed for comes down. So I'm terrified. I want to say, uh, just, yeah, he's okay. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God will challenge you to obey. And then when you obey and you take that step and you say, Lord, I believe. And I, not just I believe, not like, like we said, not just I believe, but behavior born out of belief. But I will show you my belief by the way I pray, by the way I speak, and the way I act in obedience. And I will not say no to God. And I will not say I can't to God. If God says go, I will say yes, sir. And if God says speak, I will say okay. And if God says don't speak, I will shut my mouth. And through that obedience, God will pour his blessing upon us. I promise you, there's not a person in this room that God is not challenging to obey him in a big way or hurt. Each one of you sitting in your chair, I don't know what it is. Could be the exact opposite of me, could be the same as me, could be something completely different. God is challenging you to obey because I know God wants to bless you. I know God wants to bless you. But the question is, will you obey? Will you take that step of faith? Will you be faithful financially? Will you do what God is commanding you to do with your finances? Will you be faithful in terms of witnessing? When God is calling you to speak and to say something, will you? Will you, I spoke a lot about the relationships, you're a single guy, and God is putting that girl on your heart, and he's telling you, go for it, man. Be a man. Man up. Ask her out. Will you man up and do it? And will you take that step? 
And then when you do, and God blesses you, and you get married, and you have a children, you will name him Anthony. <laughs> and you will tell the whole wide world that you got the best priest in the whole wide world because he is telling you to date and encouraging you to go for it. <laughs> will you take a step of faith? And will you do what God wants you to do? Let's finish up the story of Acts chapter 5. After the angel told them to go and preach, speak the word. When they heard that, this is world-changing obedience. Watch what they did. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. I love that. You know what that would say if that was us? When they heard that, they fasted and prayed for six months to see if this was truly the will of God. They asked their advisor, and they prayed, and they made a pros and cons list. They didn't do none of that stuff. He said, speak. They set the alarm early. They walked straight to the temple, and they spoke the word of God. When they did that, the religious leaders obviously were not too keen about that. It says, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So picture the scene, okay? They put them in prison. They lock them up. They get together the next morning, say, okay, what are we going to do about those guys in prison? Bring them to us. And then the guards go, and they say, they're not in there. Say, where'd they go? They look outside the window in the temple courts, and they see they are preaching in the temple. And there's a thousand people around them, and they're preaching the name of Jesus, and everyone is worshiping their feet and saying, we love you, y'all are the best. What would you do if you're the temple, if you're the, the elders and all that kind of stuff? Of course, they went crazy. And then they say, bring them here to us. We'll skip down to verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Y'all know what the next verse is? Next verse is so good. Next verse is so good. They're standing in front of the Supreme Court. People have the power to throw them in prison and cut their heads off. They said, didn't we tell you not to do this? And they said, look, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I think when they said that, the Sanhedrin was like, we beat them, we threatened them, we put them in prison. We locked them up. I said, sorry. We respect you. We came when you called us, but now we need to go because we ought to obey God rather than men. My prayer for myself and for every one of us, for our church, is this is us. This is the characteristic that defines who we are as a church that we ought to obey God rather than men. And if God says, I don't care if the whole world is against us, if God says, we will do it. And I don't care if my logic, okay, if logic is against me and logic is saying no and it doesn't make sense, I will go and I, because if you seen what I seen and you heard what I heard and you believe what I believe, that Jesus was a man on this earth just like me and you and he really died and he really is risen from the dead, and he promises life to those who walk in his commandments. And he promised to give anyone who believes in him and anyone who lives in him, he promised to give them eternal life. Why am I worried about these guys? If I really believe the stuff that I say I believe, it has to make a difference in how I pray and how I speak and how I obey. 
Those are the characteristics of a world changer. And those are the marks that define us, that should define us. We pray big, we speak bold, we obey brave. Lee, but brave is more symmetrical, okay? We pray big, we speak bold, we obey brave. Lee. We answer to a higher call around here. We don't answer to people here. We don't answer to logic. We answer our God is risen and he has ascended to the highest place in heaven. And I'm gonna stand before him and I'm gonna answer to him. And he's the one who I'm gonna obey more than, why would I obey the peasants when I stand in front of the king? Why would I tell the king no and obey the, we won't, we will never. We'll pray big, we'll speak bold, we'll obey brave. And then God will never stop to pour his blessing upon us, upon our church, upon our homes, upon our marriages, upon our careers, upon everything when we follow these characteristics of world changers. Let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart for calling us to be your children and inviting us to live this life of blessing, life of power and life of, of miracles. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith that doesn't just believe but behaves and acts from that belief. And that everywhere, everywhere we go, people can like smell the faith inside of us and they can hear it in our words and see it in our action. And they can feel it in our interaction with, with, with one another. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a church of world changers, that you would truly change the world around us by changing us and then sending us out to be lights to the world and salt to the earth. I pray for every person here that whoever's struggling to obey you that you'd give them the strength to this week take that step of faith that, you, that they know they need to take. We ask this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Don't forget, next week is Friends and Family Day. Make sure that you come and bring a friend or a family with you. Have a great week, guys.